Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. This is the advent of joy. We say that when Jesus Christ came, he brought joy. Now, if you are to look through your Bible, you would see that joy is everywhere, that from the earliest writings in the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, people are speaking of joy. Joy is different than happiness, as has been said ever since I was a wee taught in Sunday school. I was told that happiness is based on what you have or where you are. And those things can change. I can have my possessions taken away. I can move from a happy place. And so my mood will change. And when we call people moody, it means that they are willing or able to change their mood from happy to sad very quickly based on their perception of things. And when we say joy, we say that that comes from God. And we know that from the New Testament in the book of Galatians, when the fruit of the Spirit is given, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Second one on the list. And so we, we see from that, we can infer from that, the joy that is talked about during Christmas comes through the Holy Spirit. It is not something that I muster up. I muster up happiness. I muster up a positive mental attitude and stiff upper lip about what's going on around me and I am happy about it or I can focus on what God has given in joy and we shall, we shall look at that. One difficulty that we have in this world is I think that for probably 2,000 years, there has been a confusion, and Satan has been very successful in fighting the joy of Christmas. We have, uh, remember, we have peace and we have hope, and I think Christians can pretty much gather that up. You know, hope is this internal thing that I've got. Peace, if I, you know, make myself alone and get a nice cup of cocoa or tea, I can be at peace, but the joy, the joy of Christmas... I think Satan has really given us an opportunity to replace it with worldly happiness. And I think today, how that happens is through the advertising. Advertising is really nasty these days because they try to give you, they, they give you a fear of missing out, the FOMO. They give you uh, that you're lacking, that you won't be happy unless you get this new car, this new house, or this new rug, or this whatever they're trying to sell you, you will not be happy. They want to really force your emotions based on what you own. And I think as Americans, it's been very easy for us to buy into that. And so looking at Christians and people who have done various studies and polls on Christians, Christians have the same basic happiness quotient as anybody else in the world. I've really met grumpy Christians, and if you're talking about the joy of Christmas, 
There shouldn't be any grumpy Christians, but there are, and I think that that is because of the society we've built, and it's something that we really have to stand against, and we will kind of look at that. Joy is therefore a theme. You can see joy in the Old Testament, but you really see joy in the New Testament. Paul uses joy almost all the time. He talks about this being his joy and that being his joy and making my joy complete and things of this nature. And it's really different for a person who lived in Old Testament times, living to New Testament times, because as I said, you now have the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit and you can have supernatural joy. And we will look at that. First, let's look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians, there it is. Philippians 4.4, Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. The book of Philippians is the only book or only letter in the New Testament where there is not a single rebuke. God does not correct them. He does, uh, Paul does not say, you're doing this or believing this wrong, do this. Unlike 1 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians, uh, Galatians, these types of books have correction in them. Philippians has no correction, which makes Paul joyful. So if we look at Philippians 4, 4 through 8, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. And so Philippians 4.4 comes after he's written this letter. In Philippians 4.1 and 2 and 3, he's talking about there seems to be some personal conflict in the church of Philippi. And he's telling them to get along and get along in the Lord. And in getting along in the Lord... He says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. And at the first look, what he is saying is, if you have a conflict amongst Christians, whether it be in church or in your family, if you as an individual focus on God and what he has done, you won't spend a lot of time thinking about that person and all the bad stuff they did. If you think about who God is and what he has done for you, the idea is it will really help our interpersonal relationships. We will get along better. And if I am rejoicing in the Lord and what he has done, and you are rejoicing in the Lord and what he has done, then we're on the same page and we're not going to fight. We're going to spend time praising God and worshiping God. And so you say, well, what does Paul have to rejoice in the Lord in? And several commentaries, James Boyce is one that put together this list. He actually had a list of 35 things that Paul said gave him joy. I picked eight of them that are something that we also have. Okay, Paul had some experiences uh, Christ knocked him down on the road to Damascus 
and basically converted him by force right there on the road. He was joyful about that. That is something that probably didn't happen to us. If it did, hey, great, but probably not. But there are eight things out of his list that we also have. And the first one is Paul was saved. Paul was saved out of being a Pharisee. Paul was saved out of being a self-righteous bad dude who wanted to kill Christians. And God saved him. And if you are saved, you are in a position that you cannot bring about yourself. You cannot save yourself. And therefore, if you are saved by God Almighty through the blood of Jesus Christ, that is something to be joyful about. That is something to rejoice about. Rejoice just means to be joyful. And so we can be joyful about our salvation. And if, you, if that doesn't do anything to you, if you don't really understand why that is, you need to get into Scripture and realize what you were saved from and out of, what your actual natural condition was, and what God saved you out of, and then what God gave you as part of being saved, and it was all paid for by Jesus Christ. Read the crucifixion stories. That is for you. That is what God did to save you. And so we can look at that. I can say, yeah, I don't really like, you know, the tax bill I got or the refrigerator stopped working or that I got a flat tire, but I'm saved and I'm still saved. That sa salvation is an eternal condition. One thing about God's joy in these things is that God's joy does not change because God does not change. The same God who saved Paul and gave him these reasons to be joyful saved you and gave you these reasons to be joyful. Number two, others are being saved. Paul's not the only saved person in the world. If he was the only saved person, that would still be a moment of joy, but he has friends. He has people he knows. He has people he's worked with. And other people are being saved. Lots of other people in Paul's area is being saved. And if you know somebody in your family who is saved, if you know a friend who's gotten saved, that is an area to be joyful about and to be joyful for a long time. God is saving lots of people. This isn't just a very minor one or two people in all of existence. God is saving lots of people. And we can know these people and we can have brothers and sisters in Christ. The third is that Jesus Christ is coming again. When we sing Joy to the World, I don't know if you know this, but Joy to the World is a second coming song. It is not a Christmas song, but we make it a Christmas song because it really matches what's going on here. But it's a song about the second coming. Jesus Christ is coming again, and all the stuff he promises, both yea and nay, good and bad, blessing and curse in the book of Revelation, is going to come true exactly like it is written. And if you're going through a difficult time, if you're in a time of your life or in a time of work or whatever where it's just a struggle, there is an end to this and it's a glorious end to this, 
And that can bring us a little bit of joy. We can ponder the second coming and get joy out of it. And we can be joyful and rise above, I guess, the problems of this world. I guess what the joy that God gives does is it causes us, as people have said, to rise above the muck, to stand above, to stand where God is and say, ah, this is the truth of what's going on instead of getting caught up in the difficulties. Number four, God didn't just save Paul and kick him to the curb. He saved Paul and is using him for God's glory. And everybody, you may look at your life and go, well, God's not using me. Yes, he is. God's using everybody he saved. He saves everybody for a purpose. Sometimes the purpose is kind of vague. Sometimes the purpose is clear. Sometimes the purpose is just to be a godly member of a family and to move people in that family toward sanctification. Number five, Paul knew other people who, once they were saved, were being used. Paul was not just a unique person, so he praised God that he was saved and others were being saved. He praises God that he was being used and he knew other people that he could work side by side with. And in the same way, we gather in a church so that we can work side by side with one another for the things of God. Number six, and it says this in Romans 8, God is working together everything in your life for your good. God is not just hope it works out okay. God is micromanaging all the stuff in your life for your good and for your eternal good. Paul also says he is joyful because if it all falls apart and he gets killed by the Romans, hey, that's gain. To die means to be in the presence of God for all eternity. And so this is a moment of joy is that I'm not joyful if it only goes in this direction. If the world kills me, hey, that's great. I, I will know joy like I cannot even imagine. And then lastly, he had full and complete and total access to God like we do. We can walk into the throne room of grace. We can pray anything. We can ask anything. We can just pour our hearts out to God and God listens and God does something about it. And so it is these things that if we kind of keep this mental list or keep it on your phone or whatever, that when you're in a difficult time, when you're in a long line at the supermarket and the person up there is trying to write a check and can't figure out where their checkbook is, and I mean all this stuff that goes on around Christmas and other times, if you're in that situation, you could get all grumpy and, and mean because this is taking your valuable time. Or you can ponder and say, yeah, I'm saved and I know saved people. I'm doing things for God and I know people who are doing things for God. And Jesus Christ is coming again and that should put a smile on your face or a smile in your heart or something like that. You should be able to gain some level of joy by replacing the selfish view of how the world should be, which is most of our problems, is we have a selfish view of how the world should be. 
We replace that with God and what he has done and what he is going to do. In Philippians, it ends by saying, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. If you want to memorize a verse, this is a good one, because if you're thinking in such a way that you're getting grumpy or you're going to be in a bad mood or you're going to be mean to people or whatever is coming out of your thinking, if you can turn it around and say, huh, what I'm thinking about is not pure. What I'm thinking about is not lovely. And you can begin to change what you're thinking about and perhaps the joy of the Lord will come. In the book of James... It's after Hebrews. Uh, James, 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 James. James wrote James. And in James 1, starting in 2, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so what... James' writing is he is saying, don't let your situation control your mood. Don't let your situation control your attitude. He says, as you probably heard many times before, it says, when, not if. Count it all joy, my brothers, when. Not if we are going to have many trials of various kinds. That is how the world is put together. One way that we can look at the world is that if it is a trial, that means God is doing it to you to make you holy. A trial will always have holiness at the other end, sanctification. If it is a temptation, it is Satan trying to get you to sin. If you follow a temptation, the result is sin. If you follow a trial, the result is sanctification. The difficulty is when you're in the middle of a trial and a temptation, you can't always tell what it is. Uh, and I think, I've heard enough stories, I've read enough stuff, that Satan will look at what God's doing and he'll throw temptations in the middle of trials. Sadly, that is how the human condition is. We live in a broken, evil, difficult world, and there are difficulties in it. And everything that you come across that is a difficulty, that is a challenge, that is a tragedy, that is a trauma, that is a problem, that is a situation, that is an annoyance, you always have the opportunity in all of those things to follow God, to say, okay, I'm going in this situation and I want to feel self, I want to feel defeatist. I want to feel bad. I want to feel like revenge. I want to hurt somebody. I want to have these sorts of feelings is what our selfish nature is saying. And we need to examine that and go, wait a minute, I'm thinking about revenge. Revenge is a biggie in the world. Uh, people who have 
Uh, even Christians, when they have asked if you've been wronged, what is your first thought? For a Christian, it should be forgiveness. But generally speaking, everybody says revenge. People love revenge and to think about revenge and to plot revenge. I've done it I've, when I've been majorly wronged. You know, you think of how could I get this person back? Never do. But it's thoughts that you have that destroy your thinking because it isn't pure and lovely. And what James is saying is when these situations come along, you stand for God. And if you get to the point where as a trial is coming, you go, here comes some joy, like James says, then you're a better man than I am. Because usually it's way after You've gone through it and you realize that you now have steadfastness. Steadfastness means unshakable. God wants to build steadfastness in you. He wants you to be unshakable. What is unshakable? He wants your faith to be unshakable. God wants to have anything come your way and you be stronger on the other end that you come through it with a deeper faith, with a closer walk with God. And I've talked with people who have had major tragedies about how has this happened, and, and months after they were able to say, yeah, they're now in the place where reading the Bible they can see deeper things because they went through this major sickness or this financial problem. Things that we go through if we keep God at the forefront, if we keep God at our front, then when it's all said and done, we will have a deeper faith. We will have a, a deeper understanding and we can look at that and I can look at my life and say, I am, we could say a better Christian, but can you be a better Christian? I am more sanctified, I am more holy, I am walking closer with God, I have a deeper faith than I did five years ago because of the things I've gone through and that can give me joy because it shows beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's word is true and God's working in my life is true. It was predicted. It was prophesied. It's prophesied in James 1-2 that these good things come out of bad things. And when I see good things that make me a stronger Christian, then I can have joy. I can have joy because I'm saved and I know saved people. I'm working for God. Other people are working for God. That Jesus Christ is coming again. That should bring about joy. And I can have joy because God is clearly working in my life and sanctifying me. And I can say, wow, I went through some tough stuff, but I am a, a stronger Christian now. And I, don't, I believe with all my heart, with what God has brought me through, that anything could happen and my faith will be unshakable. I'm going to believe in God, Jesus Christ, and all that he promised until such time as I die or he comes again and nothing that this world can throw at me 
can shake me or prove that to be wrong. We need to be people of joy, and I think that we are people of joy when we begin to think about the things of God. We need to understand that if you're saved, amazing joy. If other people are saved, hey, amazing joy. If he is coming again, which he is, hey, that's joy, I don't know, unrealized. Jesus Christ is coming again. It is our sure hope. It gives us peace and it gives us joy. And maybe if we begin to think this way, we will become known for our joy and not being known as somebody who just lets, you know, what we have and what we, uh, where we are determines our happiness. God is a God of joy, and he gives us joy. All we have to do is pick it up. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, I thank you for this day. I pray that you would cause us to, to ponder the things of you, and in doing so, that we may have joy, that we may have joy unspeakable, that we may have joy that cannot be taken away. I pray that you would cause us to be a joyful people from this day forward because of the work of Jesus Christ. I ask all this through the blood of Christ, and I ask your blessing on the remainder of the day. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.